0: Fred Ricciani, TSC, the Sports Courier Podcast. We have right here on the line a very special guest. He is an author, but I think author is just putting it lightly. He is a true baseball historian. We are talking to the author of the New York Mets All-Time All-Stars, Brian Wright. Brian, you had the unenviable task, but fun task, of ranking all the greatest Mets of all time. How are you feeling now that the
1: book is finally done? Uh, A little bit of relief, Fred, Um, a lot of uh, the catching up to do in terms of sleep, Uh, (laughs) trying to do the whole book. I'm still catching up, even though it's been a few months since I finished it. Um, And and to be perfectly honest, in my head, I'm thinking about some of the roster spots that maybe I could have switched. Um, But again, that's part of the, the interest I think that readers will have. I think it's part of the fun of the book.
0: That's awesome. And you've been covering baseball for a long time from, what I understand the Mets aren't the only team you've done a real deep dive on historically, but the Mets seem to be your home team. What made you wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to rank all the Mets.
1: Uh, well, as far as this, this book is concerned, I actually had a publisher reach out to me. Uh, Lions Press reached out to me after I did my first book, uh, Mets and Tens through the history press and kind of said, Hey, would you like to do an all-time team book? And Mets and Tens was kind of, Uh, my inspiration, to be perfectly honest with you, Uh, I had been writing for um, uh, like a a, a website, like a national website, um, doing a lot of list articles. And it kind of came to me to to do a Mets related book. And I said, well, why don't you do, I just do kind of like a series of top 10 lists? And so that kind of became it originally was like an uh going to be a uh, just it's independently published book and then why Ly- um i should say the history press was interested and that took off and then led kind of led to what i'm doing now with lions press so um yeah so the obvious re- answer to why i decided to do a mets book is just because it's been an obsession since i've been five years old i couldn't think of any other team i'd want to do it on and and uh it's worked out pretty well so far it's been again it's been a little bit tiring uh exhausting, but i I couldn't think of any other team I'd want to tire myself out with.
0: Well said now, who was your favorite Met growing up?
1: So the first so I'm uh thirty two years old, and when I was five years old, I really started to get uh into the Mets, and my dad has been a Mets fan since the start in nineteen sixty two and uh you know. I my dad had like the 1986 video you know, highlight video, and the first player I gravitated to was Gary Carter. Um, and in '92, he was I guess his last season when he was with the Expos. But you know, watching that '86 Mets video, that he was kind of the guy I kind of uh, uh, kind of really t- uh, clung to. And as the years went on, and the Mets got a guy by the name of Mike Piazza, he became my favorite player. And uh, just having the last name of Wright, I just. I kind of had a keen interest in David Wright. Um, and since then, I'm giving you a wide answer, a wide variety of answers here. Uh, but since then, I've always loved Jacob DeGrom. I've always respected uh, how he kind of came from uh, relative obscurity. And we all talk, we all think about, we all think back to when the, all those pictures were coming up in 2011, 2012, 2013, uh, and, and 2014, uh, the Harveys. The Syndergaard, uh Stephen Matz, Zach Wheeler, Rafael Montero—all those, you know, that succession of pitchers or that group of pitchers that were that were going to dominate the Mets would be dominant for the Mets for years to come. And it turns out the Jacob deGrom uh, is the one that not only emerges as the best of them, but one of the best of all time. So. That kind of uh, coming from obscurity story, I just I love that. And it just makes me love him even more and uh, respect how his career has progressed. So uh, over the years, I've had a lot of different Mets I've loved. I mean, Tom Seaver is if you had to say who's your all time favorite, it's Tom Seaver um, for for obvious reasons. But over the years, it's kind of evolved into a group of players. I can't really single out one.
0: And how crazy is it now with the offseason? They they hired Carlos Beltran. He's, he's already gone before even really starting on the job after the whole sign-stealing scandal with the Houston Astros. Of course, you've got the whole ownership situation. What the heck's going to happen with that? But on paper... This is a fun young team to watch when they are winning, and they're not that far removed, I think, from getting into the playoffs. So it's kind of a double edged sword. And the outside stuff, as far as beyond the field, it's a little chaotic. But on the field, it looks like they got a pretty good product they could put on this year.
1: Yeah, no, it, yeah. Outside of just the, the playing field, it's, it's kind of uh, kind of crazy to see what's what's going on or uh, what's happened, I guess. But yeah, if you look just at the play, the the players and the roster, um, it's a solid team. And uh, again, last year, you talk about last year, the way they finished. uh, If they didn't have all those hiccups with the bullpen, this team would have been in the playoffs. And who knows what what would have happened? Obviously, we saw what the Nationals did, just as a wild card team. So uh, that fosters a lot of optimism. uh, You know, riding the momentum from last season, and uh, you know, I think. It may be a blessing in disguise not having Carlos Beltran as manager. I'm not saying Carlos Beltran would have been a good manager, but Luis Rojas may be the better choice of the two. Um he knows this team well. He was the you know quality control person, whatever that means, but it seemed to be an important role. Um and the players, a lot of the young players, the Jeff you know, Jeff McNeil and P. Alonso, they they really not only just get along with him, but more importantly, they respect him. Uh so that Means a lot going into the season. And, uh, you know, I think this team has a lot of fun with each other. Uh, if anyone saw the, the Cardinals, the game against the Cardinals on, uh, what was it, Wednesday, um, they, you know, when they were all mic'd up on ESPN, uh, they really do enjoy each other's company. So that, and that, that goes a long way. So um, it's, yeah, it's reason to be optimistic. I mean, anytime you're in spring training and you have a halfway decent team, you're going to be optimistic. But I think I'm a little bit more op- optimistic than normal.
0: And what do you think is the ceiling for Peter Alonso? I mean, that guy had as great of a rookie season as you could ever have, especially playing for the biggest market. I mean, can you see him continuing this, or do you feel like he might have a sophomore slump?
1: Um, I I don't think he's going to hit fifty three home runs again. Uh, I, I and and that's okay. He doesn't need to. Uh, I think if he kind of evolves into more of a uh, you know, kind of a guy who tries to get on base, have a better batting average, a few more doubles, and not you know you know maybe cuts down on a strikeout that will be he'll be he'll uh have benefited the team a lot more than if he tries to hit you know fifty some home runs again uh so i i don't you know I can uh, po- uh, see a potential sophomore slump in terms of his power numbers, but you know if he still has a great batting average, still becomes that, still is develops into that vocal leader, which he, there's no reason to think he won't. Um, that that will that will benefit the team more so than just his home run hitting.
0: So, as somebody that's been studying baseball history for quite a long time. I mean. I'm sure it's certainly fun, but when you're doing these deep dives and everything, you have a lot of responsibility too. To kind of now, I give your opinion, but also frame it like in a historically accurate way. So one day, maybe a hundred years from now, when when somebody comes out of a vault, you know, they read this book and they say, "Oh, so these were uh, the greatest Mets." What were some of the challenges that you ran into when compiling history for this book and other pieces you've written?
1: Yeah. So this book specifically. Um, the challenge in, in trying to trying to uh, evaluate uh, and determine the players for this team, I I made it into a 30 man roster and I included a manager and coaches. Those are the two honorable mention managers, a uh, general manager and an owner. Uh, specifically with the players, what I what I had, what the challenge I think was how what is your criteria? Because I think a lot of uh, different people. And and this is not, and my book is not supposed to be a final say, it's kind of just what my say is, uh, and, and everyone can have their opinion, and again, that's what makes it a really interesting uh, topic. Uh, but I think you could always have different criteria. Your criteria could be something like, hey, you know, I, who are the most popular players, or who, you know, was with the Mets a long time and, and compiled great numbers. Um, you can have a lot of different, uh, you can have a lot of different criteria for how you uh, determine an all-time team. Uh, for me, I, it's a mixture of impact on the franchise. If you had, you know, great post-season or big game performances, if you hold single season or career records, um, longevity, you know, was not as big of a factor for me, but instead I kind of uh looked at if you had you know your what were your best seasons like as a met uh and you know how, you know what would, at, at your peak were you the best player one of the best players at that particular position and the fact that i had to kind of judge it by position made it a little bit challenging if i were to do a book about the, you know the 50 greatest mets um some players that i left off of the roster would be on the on the list it's kind of a, it's a, a different way to kind of bring the the best players um onto your team it's like it's not exactly it's not exactly the the, the, the right you know it's not the perfect template for determining the best players but it's another interesting way to look at it uh and i had to get a little bit creative with with what i did as far as the roster was concerned um like for pitchers uh i had 10 pitchers i decided to make it 10 pitchers i made it where i would select seven starters uh, instead of you know the normal four or five man rotation, just because the Mets have had so many great starting pitchers. And even when I did that, I left a few off that were are very uh, worthy of being on the team. Uh, and another challenge was where do I you know since I was putting these players by position, what position do you put them at? Um, and I made sure to evaluate these players and uh, put them if I were to put them on the team at the position in which they played the longest. So you know for instance Edgardo Alfonso, played a little bit of shortstop, played a, played a good deal of third base, but he's a second baseman because he played there the most. Um, so, yeah, as I said, a lot of different criteria you can uh, use to judge making this team. Um, I had a, you know, a kind of a combination of a lot of different things, traditional stats, sabermetric stats. And as I pointed out, impact on the franchise, great performances. Um, so I tried to use a, just a big combination of uh, a different things, but it's uh you know, uh, everyone can have their own way of looking at it, and that's what make this what makes this a great topic.
0: Now we have a, a number of questions I got from Mets fans and, and from myself. Not necessarily rapid fire, but just the, a few that are insightful and unique that may challenge you a bit. Are you ready? Yes. Who is the most underrated Met?
1: Um, great question. Uh, I, at the top of my head, can I just mention him, Edgar Alfonso... Uh, was in the shadow of Mike Piazza for, you know, the prime years of his career. Uh, So I might say him, uh, again, off the top of my head. Uh, And and on the day we're talking, they announced the number retirement for Jerry Kuzman, uh, which will be June 13th. You have to put him in the uh, list of underrated Mets because he pitched in the shadow of Tom Seaver and might have been the Best big game pitcher the Mets ever had uh, when you consider those great World Series performances. Uh, I think he had three really great w- World Series performances. So those are the first two that I think of. Another guy that that could be on that list is uh, Kevin McReynolds, which um, who was a uh, left fielder who in the 80s kind of was uh, uh, behind Darryl Strawberry a lot, uh, had a very good year in 1988. Um, and I had a tough time with whether or not to put him on the team. Uh, he was one of my toughest choices. Um, but looking at his career, he was underrated. No one gives him a lot of credit because he was just so, you know, kind of, he was reserved and really didn't talk much and uh, didn't really enjoy the spotlight, but he, overall, he was a very good player.
0: Now on the flip side, who is the most overrated met in your humble opinion?
1: Um, I have to think about this one for a little bit. Um, Just because I don't – I look at saves, even though he is on the team. uh, Saves I don't always look at in, you know, as being a kind of a be-all, end-all. But it is still an important set. I think John Franco might be a little overrated. Um, He, Like I said, he is on the team and had, you know, led the league in saves uh, and had, you know, great ERAs in some seasons. Uh, I think maybe that saves get a little bit uh, too much uh, importance. That's not to say like someone like Mariano Rivera wasn't a great closer because he was. Uh, and again, John Franco should have had more saves, but he was pitching mostly on terrible teams, and he just didn't get get that many chances. Uh, and we all, if you remember, as you lived through that era, John Franco gave you a lot of heart palpitations uh, and blew a few games. Overall, he he you know converted on many more of his save opportunities than 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 blew them. Um, so he would be the first person I would think of that maybe not, is not as, uh, um, great of a Met maybe as some people say, but still very good. And, and as I had mentioned, good enough to be one of the all time Mets.
0: Your personal favorite Mets moment.
1: Um, my, the, from my lifetime, uh, my favorite Mets game was the, uh, 1999 NLCS game five, the Robin Ventura, um, Grand Slam single, the 15-inning game against the Braves that prolonged the series and sent it back to Atlanta at least for one more game. That was the best game uh, that I can remember in my lifetime. Um, probably the best stretch of, of, of Mets, uh, you know, Mets play that I remember was 2015 from about August, I guess July 31st through uh, October when they went from kind of being a couple games back or three games back to the Nationals Uh, The day of the Cespedes, you want a Cespedes trade, and the Wilmer Flores home run a couple days after the he was crying on the field after he thought he was going to be traded. Um, That day, that night, or that day from through pretty much the end of the season until they succumbed to the Royals was kind of my favorite stretch uh, as a Mets fan. It was kind of the most satisfying. Favorite
0: spot to eat in New York?
1: My favorite spot. I think anything Italian. I like anything pizza place. Uh, you know, somewhere in Little Italy, that would be my favorite. I don't have a I don't have a favorite favorite place, but a pizza place in Little Italy or kind of just anywhere in Little Italy, pretty much that mall.
0: That's a good answer. Uh, you can't get better Italian food than than in New York. I mean, it's amazing, and especially especially with with the pizza and everything. I mean, there's I mean, there's there's Joe's, there's Songy the there's there's just so many. It's so good. If you've never been to New York, kids, go to New York. Get, just get a slice, trust me, your life will be changed, although you might be spoiled forever when it comes to pizza.:
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. I'd, uh, I know I, I, Some people say like it's New York-style pizza for me, it's just pizza.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're used to it What's the wackiest moment in your research when it comes to Met's history? Is, is there one moment that is stranger than fiction that you say, "Wow, I cannot believe that happened in the history of the team."
1: Um, I, I guess I'm on the Jerry Kuzman kick right now, but the way that Jerry Kuzman got to the Mets is very interesting. Um, I guess he could have, you know, the fact that he was discovered was interesting, uh, is an interesting story. In fact, uh, it was the son of one of the Mets ushers who saw him while he was serving in the army, pitching, pitching for an army team. Um, that's how... Jerry Kuzman basically got signed with the Mets. Wow. And then from there, he uh, got into like a car accident. It's, you know, the story has had different kind of versions of it, but what I've, what I feel like I've heard from, you know, not, I guess indirectly from Jerry Kuzman is that it was a car accident uh, that he was, while he was with his teammates, and he he owed like, he got like a replacement vehicle, but he owed the Mets like money for that replacement vehicle. And the Mets were about thinking about cutting him. This was like 1966 or 67. So he was still in the minors. And the, the team was thinking of cutting him. And then they started to realize, well, wait a minute, he owes us like something around $100, maybe like 75. And then they realized like, oh, well, let's just like not cut him and wait till he pays us the money back. Well, in that, you know, after that, Jerry Kuzman started to develop a better curveball. The Mets were like, okay, let's just hold on to him. And as, you know, as they say, the rest is history. So they pretty much kept him on there because he had like a debt to pay.
0: Who's your favorite current Met?
1: My favorite current Met is uh, a Jacob deGrom. Um, I love Pete Alonzo, uh, you know, after one season, I mean, I, I don't know how you can't love him and uh, what he brings, not only on the field, but off the field and everything that he represents. I love that. He said uh, that he kind of wanted to have, um, like the the bags, mic so they could hear what he has to say. And kind of, he kind of cited, he wants to grow the game. And that, in that sense, I think he has, he is mature beyond his years and he seems like he has an interest in not only, you know, he doesn't have his own, he's at, he doesn't have his own self-interest. I think he cares about making the game better. Uh, so I really respect that and, and just awed by his, not only his power, but again, his maturity, but Jacob deGrom, um, since 2014, I've always been fascinated again by his, kind of coming from being a college shortstop and now developing into maybe the second best pitcher the Mets have ever had. That's pretty remarkable.
0: Now, as far as sign stealing goes, I mean, that's been the big topic this past season with MLB. Actually, the last couple of seasons, there's been complaints. Of course, the Astros were found to have participated in sign stealing at least in 2017. A lot of current players are not happy. I interviewed Doc Gooden recently. He said that while it is a big deal and he understands why people are pissed off, it's not as, a big, as big of a deal as people think. And he said that even back in the day, the Cubs told him that they were signed stealing against him. And he pretty much had a winning record against them. I think it was like 18-6. and six. So going back in time with your research with the Mets and other teams... How prevalent has signed stealing been? And is it as big of a deal as people are saying it is? I
1: I don't think it's as big of a deal. That being said, I think when you you go to the extent of stealing like the Astros did or had, I guess we should say, alleged to have have done, uh, I think it is a big deal. Uh, And, you know, you're not going to take away their championship. That's that's, that's too much. Uh, I think the, you know, the asterisk is in the eye of, you know, the evaluator. And I think they have that asterisk uh in the sense of the public perception uh but sign filling has been going on ever since baseball you know ever since Abner Doubleday allegedly invented baseball it's its always happened now has it happened like I said to the extent of this electronic you know video tape trash can banging thing I I mean I don't think so but you know in 1951 when the Do- when the uh, Giants uh beat the Dodgers in that three game playoff with the Bobby Thompson home run the, the Giants you know are alleged to have had a sign ceiling system in which you know they relayed the the sign from one part to the center field and then it went to the batter of uh, you know Bobby Thompson said he didn't he didn't care to see those signs, but it's you never you never really know what the truth is um and there's been other instances in which people have kind of stole signs in kind of less of uh, you know less technological ways, which is kind of okay if you're kind of peeking to the catcher. I mean, that's, that's, I guess, done in the spirit of the game. Uh, But the Astros, the way they kind of handle it, and now the way they've kind of seems like they're, I don't want to say unapologetic, but they're kind of a little bit brazen and, and kind of uh, not really taking as much responsibility as other people would have liked for them to do kind of adds to the animosity and adds to the, (laughs) to the, um, I think to the 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 hatred that fans have uh and i can't i can definitely say I'm among them i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna go i don't go crazy about it um it's you know i think it, it does definitely put a tarnish on them uh and I question everything that happened from twenty you know maybe around the time they started to get good up until even last year i don't i that it, it went on through two thousand nineteen why would someone when they cheated in 2017 and didn't really get caught, stopped. Why would they stop? <laughs> so I have to imagine it went on, and and uh, again I, I have it's it, it they did it to a point that it was kind of uh, extreme, uh, and drastic measures needed to be taken, and they were, and and they deserve it.
0: Accomplished historian, author, writer, been covering baseball for a number of years, been very successful. Uh, I requested a review review copy of your book and your publicist said, actually, uh, we're all sold out right now, which is awesome. So congratulations on all your success. But for anybody watching, for anybody listening that wants to be an author or just a, a baseball journalist, what's the best piece of advice you could give them?
1: Uh, the best piece of advice, if they want to be a writer specifically, is to just do just that, to write. Um, when I was, you know, starting up both of my book projects, uh, the the second one, I guess I had a better idea of how to do it. Um, but I made this long-term plan of, you know, when I wanted – I tried to write every day. It uh, didn't really matter what I was doing uh, or, you know, where I was as long as I wrote a little bit, whether it was, you know, depending on what I was, what I was doing, of course, whether it was 200 words, 500 words, a thousand words, just write something um, that can, you know, help you make progress to your end goal. Uh, And the next, you know, guideline would be not to try to make it perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect uh, the first time, you know, I don't think anyone is a perfect writer. I think people are great rewriters. Uh, I feel like I'm pretty good at rewriting. I don't wouldn't consider myself a great writer, because um, I think when I write something down, it's going to be changed, you know, 10, 15 times. Uh, just to put the idea down is the, is the key and make sure not to lose that idea because i i'll i have like a notepad with me even at like my job and if i think of something baseball related that could help me out with my book i'll just jot it down and make sure to then put it down into my word document later on just so i make sure not to lose that idea because you never know when you know creativity is going to spark so um yeah so my two you know principles that i have are to write every day uh, and I guess at the same time, uh, make a long-term plan, especially if you're doing a something like a book, uh, and also just to you know kind of understand that you're not going to be perfect because you're going to try to write something perfect, you'll you'll <laughs> you'll lose your mind because I tried to do that with the first book and it drove me crazy. Uh, I was you know trying to find out trying to you know, discover the perfect sentence and that can't be done immediately. It's got to take time. It's got to take you know some uh, massaging of, of the sentences and reading it all over, you know, many times. So uh, just, per, you know, basically persistence is the key because you're, you know, you've are you got to stick to a plan and you got to realize that you're never going to get it right the first time, but you can get it right eventually.
0: Brian, fantastic advice. It was a pleasure talking to you, taking a trip down memory lane, going through the process of you creating this awesome book. For fans that want to check it out, Brian Wright's book, The New York Mets, all-time all-stars, the best players at each position for the Amazons, of course available on Amazon, wherever books are sold, at
1: the local bookstore or online. I'm pretty active on Twitter, at BrianWright86, and if you're interested in a signed copy of the book, uh, I do have copies, I know a publisher might be sold out, but I have copies in my home, and I'm happy to provide a signed copy, uh, and... Uh, also active, uh, not as active, but somewhat active on Instagram. Uh, and my handle there is at BA right 86.